everyone, and welcome to episode 338 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am doing good. Obviously, I'm not in a room with you, as people will be able to hear right away. I'm working remotely for a few days with some family stuff, but this uh, conversation was too important to wait until even Thursday. We had to we have to share our, our big Game of Thrones feelings. I know. I came in. I was like, oh, no, Adam's not here. What does that mean for this episode? <laughs> I I literally shared in our little group chat, our inner office instant messenger called Slack. I like told, I told our team, I was like, hey, I'm going to be out of the office, it seems like, for a few days for some stuff we have to handle. And that was my exact same thought. I was like, but we need to figure out a way to record this this morning because it's important. <laughs> Um, yeah, so for people who watch Game of Thrones, we're going to give our thoughts on the the ending. Obviously, there will be lots of spoilers in that part, but we'll talk about the books we've been reading first so that everyone doesn't say, like, book before the podcast, not telling his book. Um, so we'll do that first. We'll do some book recommendation things that the two of us have been reading, and then, um... And then we'll get into the spoilers, though. But do you want to tell people how they can get a hold of us first before we do that? Sure. They can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. From there, you can get all of our social links. We are on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds. You can email us directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. I have a feeling we will have some emails after we talk about <laughs> Game of Thrones. So that's how you can find us there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's very, very true. People seem to have big, big feelings uh, one way or the other. Um, all right, do you want to talk about some books you've been reading first? Do you want me to go? What do you want to do? Um, I can start. So I just finished over the weekend, actually, um, the book Believe Me by J.P. Delaney. I listened to it on audiobook. Um, J.P. Delaney had come out with a previous book. Um, I think it was called The Woman Before. You know, they're sort of those, like, domestic thriller sort of type things um and believe me it's about an actress who works she's out of work so she ends up um working as one of those like I don't know what to call them but like law firms hire them or private investigators if they want to trap a husband who might be cheating so she (laughs) she like hangs out in the bars you know trying to um see if a guy will come on to her and then she reports back to the wife uh, but things get complicated when one of those wives ends up dead in a hotel room and the um, police decide to use her as bait to try and, because they think the husband is a suspect. So I actually really enjoyed it. I will say there were some plot points where it required a lot of suspension of disbelief um, in terms of this actually happening. But overall, I mean, for a good, you know, summer thriller, yeah, it was good. So that's um, Believe Me by J.P. Delaney. Nice. Um I have been reading a bunch of stuff lately, but I'm just going to do like one little quick batch of because some of the books are all by the same author. I have gotten obsessed with Wendell Berry recently. Um, if people out there are fans of Nick Offerman and his writing, Nick Offerman in, uh, I think Gumption is the book that he talks about, like seven or eight people that he absolutely loves. And, and Wendell Berry is one of them. And Wendell Berry is famous for his environmentalist books here in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. And his fiction works that really basically everything is based on an American farm. Uh, he is a farmer himself and is a conservationist. And so a lot of his work, whether fiction or nonfiction, talks about like just the American life as a farmer 
And so he tells all of these stories about these individual family moments that have happened on, on, on farms and just like kind of like a day in the life of some of these families. And they're very, um, confusing and peaceful. They remind me almost of like the fall when we go to apple orchards and we go hang out on like farms and do hay rides and all that type of thing. It just reminds me of like, uh, all of his writing almost reminds me of like a Norman Rockwell painting. Like it just feels very calming to me and very nostalgic. Um, but he also makes these really subtle points in his fiction and much more overt points in his nonfiction about the importance of maintaining the lives that people who work on farms and, and live on farms have and uh, kind of speaking out against large uh, agriculture, like the large agriculture, the huge farms that have sort of taken over and um yeah, it, they're really, really good. The, the first one that I read uh, recently was called Nathan Coulter, and then I read uh, Andy Catlett and Remembering are all three Wendell Berry books. And he tells his fiction stories are all told around the same um, around the same kind of small town. And so it's cool because these characters that you've read in previous books will sort of just like show up randomly in themes. They're all connected, but all the stories are standalone, which is really, really cool. So, um yeah, anything by Wendell Berry is what I've been really diving into lately. Um, do you have others you want to talk about? Because I don't want to just, like, ramble for 15 minutes here. Yeah, so I'm actually um, reading um, an advanced copy of the next Ruth Ware book. So listeners know I love me some Ruth Ware. Um, so her <laughs> next one is called The Turn of the Key. And it is... I, from my understanding, it's it's somewhat um, inspired of the Henry James novel, The Turn of the Screw. I admit it took me a while to figure out the title, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, this all makes sense now. So it's about a nanny, um, like in the, you know, The Turn of the Screw, um, a nanny in uh, contemporary times who goes to, uh, she's hired to um, watch the children of this uh, big tech guy. And so he basically lives in one of those houses where everything is monitored and worked through an app and it's like the turn of the screw meets black mirror and it makes me very fearful of technology <laughs> Just, <laughs> but it's so good but yeah so she's like in this house and there's like weird things happening and there's like noises but everything is like technology based and like the lights are on the app and it's just yeah it's really good it's you know ruth Ware doing her thing so that comes out i'm actually not sure when it comes out um i can't remember and i don't have it in front of me but um be on the lookout for that one well i'm um, also sure that whatever month it comes out it'll be on our monthly picks too so we'll remind people it's probably also way. accurate yes <laughs> yeah um my next one is called a danger to herself and others by Alyssa Scheinmel. uh this is a book that starts off almost like a horror book like there's this young girl who is in a mental health institution it's unclear if it's like a hospital or if it's um, kind of recovery place you don't really know what she's doing there and she's our narrator and she's explaining kind of why she's there and how it's all this big misunderstanding and then it slowly kind of uh on becomes a little bit more obvious that she's an unreliable narrator and that definitely something happened. And instead of being like a horror story about a person being trapped in a place, it becomes this whole exploration of mental health. And it is really like a lot more t- 
touching and emotional than I than I thought it was going to be. It reminds me a lot of Shirley Jackson, like we've always lived in the castle, where you start off thinking one thing about a character and then you start thinking something wildly different, and then by the end, it's an entirely different opinion than what you could have possibly imagined you would have. And there's uh, plot twists that are like genuinely. There's a few chapters that end with things that, like I audibly gasped while reading it to myself. Um, really good if you're a fan of like, Shirley Jackson type books or unreliable narrators um, if you ever read And the Trees Crept In by Don Kurtagich it's another kind of thing like that where you don't really know what the trust with the narrator is telling you but it all works out in the end to really create a really impressive picture about um, mental health and, and all sorts of great stuff so that's A Danger to Herself and Others by Alyssa Scheinmel, and I believe that one is out now. People can go read it. <laughs> um, yeah, so my last one that I have is Shameless by Nadia Boltz-Weber. I, I think I've, I've mentioned Nadia, Boltz's, uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber's other books. So she is a um, Lutheran pastor um, out of Denver, but she is very much not what you would expect from Lutheran pastor. She's, like, covered with tattoos. Um, she swears a lot. She's actually pretty fabulous. So um, Shameless is her new book, and it is sort of her um, looking at uh, sex and gender and all that through the lens of the church and kind of giving us a new perspective um, and, like, overhauling all of this sort of um, negative connotations that the church places on it. Um, I'm reading it for a book club. I'm very excited about it. I really love everything she writes. So, yeah, that's um, Shameless by Nadia Boltz-Weber. If you are not already aware of her, I highly recommend it, even if you are someone who actually doesn't really go to church like me. But I still get a lot out of what she says, so that's always a good... I feel like that's a good endorsement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um my last one is Gingerbread by Helen Oyemi, who uh, Jill and I off, off mic have conversations about when we discover that there's certain authors who are like a lot younger than we thought, because they're already like winning all sorts of awards and stuff. I think you actually were talking about one last week with me. I was. Um, yep, Helen is one of those. We're like, I, she writes in a way that I was like, wow, this woman has this incredible understanding and view of the world. She really must have lived some stuff. And no, I'm almost, she looks like she's in her 20s. Like, I was like blown away. Um, but Gingerbread is influenced by this weird, mysterious place that Gingerbread holds in, like, a lot of classic children's stories. Um, and it tells the story of this young girl, Perdita, who's, like, a, a British schoolgirl. And it, at first it just seems like her and her mother are trying to sort of, like, figure out the school and like the social weird hierarchy that schools have and um but slowly but surely like you kind of realize that there's a fantastical version of the of their their story and there's this potentially fake potentially real place called durastrana which is this, like far far away land that harriet who is Perdita's mother remembers from her youth and uh, Perdita decides that she wants to try and travel back there and so it's just it's this book that starts in this really grounded way and then it takes a little bit of a left turn and there's sort of this like magical realism and there's characters that at first you're like those are inanimate objects that are talking that I must be reading this wrong and it, it sort of keeps you guessing but it it's this huge sweeping novel that has all sorts of magic and 
uh, and wonderment in it, and it, it reminded me of like an adult version of a lot of classic fairy tales. So I, it, I have no idea how she tied it all together, but it is awesome. It's so great. Uh, so that's Gingerbread by Helen Oyeyemi, which is my last one. So uh, that was like six or seven-ish books for people who were not Game of Thrones fans or who are Game of Thrones fans. But if you aren't caught up yet on Game of Thrones, we will forgive you for ending listening to us right now. We will. Um, but before we get started with our Game of Thrones talk, we're going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsor. I'd like to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. As avid readers, we're constantly looking to further our knowledge and learn as much as we can, which is why Joe and I both love The Great Courses Plus, and we know that you're going to as well. Founded on the idea that education should be accessible to everyone, they make it possible to learn from the brightest minds all around the world. And these are people that we wouldn't normally have access to listen to. We're talking about professors from Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Uh, they have experts from the National Geographic and the Smithsonian and just so many wonderful, highly educated people that normally we wouldn't be able to talk to. Uh, this is college-level learning, but without the student loans and the pressure of homework or grades. And the Great Courses Plus app makes it possible to learn whichever way works best for you. You can watch or you can listen to lectures anytime. Yeah, I'm a big fan of playing it in my car when I'm driving. Yeah, it's yeah, great. It's great. And uh, one course that um, I am I'm not listened to yet but is next on my list is the History of the CIA. Come on. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> I will admit, I'm still, like, I'm geeking around through the literature stuff still, so I am currently going through the great mythologies of the world, and there's cool stuff from, like, Athena and Aphrodite to Odysseus and Romulus and Remus and Rome's origins, all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, They have a ton of awesome categories in there. They do, and one that we want to recommend you check out is the great utopian and dystopian works of literature. We love dystopia, mm-hmm. but I also love that there's utopia literature mixed in here as well, including feminist utopia in the 1970s. That's I mean, so awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's an entire one of the courses is dedicated to that. Um, yeah, the feminist utopian movement in the 1970s. And so you get both sides of sort of the dystopia and utopia um, literature all in one great course. So you can unlock a world of knowledge with the Great Courses Plus. And right now they're giving our listeners a special limited time offer, a free month of unlimited access to their entire library. But to get this offer, you need to sign up now through our special URL, which Jill is going to tell you about. So all you have to do to unlock all of this is go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probooknerds. I'm going to repeat that for you. And we also have it in the show notes, but it is thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probooknerds. Get your, um, just go to that website and you will be able to start your free month um, trial and get access to all of this awesome content. Again, go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probooknerds. All right, and now back to Jill and I complaining about Game of Thrones. All right, uh, welcome back. Uh, again, thanks to The Great Courses Plus for sponsoring this episode. Hope you guys will check out that awesome offer we have from them. And now we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. Um, we started before we started recording. We had a brief chat about it, and it seems like we both, in a situation where I feel like we've been at, at odds this whole season, feel like we are on the same page here. I think we both liked it. Yeah, I feel like one of the very few, maybe it's just because my Twitter feed and like hated it, but uh, I feel like one of the few people who actually didn't 
hate it. I yeah, I, I mean, I feel like there was only so much they could do to wrap things up, and I and that the stories were clearly going in a certain direction. Um, and yeah, I was pretty satisfied with the end. Yeah, I was too. I, exactly like what you said. When the story is this big and this sweeping, and the way that the internet reacts to things in real time, you're never going to make everyone happy. Um, but I, I think it satisfies a lot of just like everyone wanted to see a certain person on the Iron Throne, or everyone wanted to see, you know, it end a certain way. And there was some, there was some like cheesy, maybe a little bit sappy endings to various characters that we can get into but on the whole like i think the sort of the whole point of like you know there's still a small council and there's still a king and there's still these you know six kingdoms that plus the north like i think the whole point of it is like you know the game of thrones thing is going to continue going on and on past these generations and well past the end of the show and like you can't you know daniel's hoping that you want to break the wheel but you kind of can't like you need rulers and, and things like that and I don't know, there was some cheesy stuff, but I, yeah, I was happy. Like, what were some things that, you know, what were some character endings that you were, like, content with or some stuff that you didn't like? I guess just kind of, you know, freeform, share your thoughts. Well, as someone who has been loving Sansa from very, very, very early in the show, I was, of course, thrilled that she ended up as Queen of the North. Um, so that one I was completely happy with. Um, and I think, you know, I was thinking about it, uh, I don't mind that Danny died. <laughs> yeah. I was, you I know, um, you know, cause she had, and I, and I think if you go back and I mean, some of the discussions that are happening with both us offline and then just in the TV watching sphere in general is that, um, some of the plot points are okay. It's just sort of the execution of them and how they got there. Don't make a lot of sense. And I think Danny's arc is one of those, but if you go way back into the beginning of the show, she had a vision, I think in season two, where yeah. she is, uh, she imagines herself in the throne room and um, it it looked, I mean, I, I really want to go back and watch that scene compared to the one from last night because they seem shot by shot very similar um, where she walks up to it. And then in her vision, she goes through a door where she finds Caldrogo and their baby. And there's like this whole conversation about her not knowing if this is real. Is she alive? Is she dead? So I feel like they predicted this or, or sort of foreshadowed it way back in the beginning. Um, so I had no problem with that. Um, I don't really, I think part of the struggle is be, maybe because I've read the books, I understand Bran as a, character that's more fleshed out than the tv show gave him so i can see how some people would be sort of upset there were memes going around about um brand being that kid who doesn't contribute to your project you know like your group project and then ends up getting an a which Mm -hmm. from the perspective of people who only watch the tv show i 100 get that and i do think it's slightly problematic that um you know Tyrion's whole argument is he had all of these stories and things he had lived through and just sort of completely ignored what Arya and Sansa had gone through, who also very easily could have had that position as well. So, you know, they're just like, oh, you get to do these other things, but we have to have a man in charge. That, not so crazy about that part. Um, (laughs) That part I didn't really like. (laughs) 
Well, and I think that they're the way that they got around that. First off, by not mansplaining, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was like, oh, look, it's a white guy still sitting on the throne. A literal throne that he can't get up from. He's always on the throne. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think the way that they like sidestep that is like down to being like, I want to be the queen in the north. That's my space. And then Arya being like, I don't want to be queen of anything. I want to go sail and have my, you know, have my Pirates of the Caribbean adventures. Um, the thing I will say about Bran is I was pissed off the whole season because in my mind, like, he was the key to beating the White Walkers. And so when he had nothing to do with being the Night King, I was like, oh, what was his entire purpose, this entire show? But I guess it was justified by them being like, oh, well, he's the king. That's why. Um, I will say when Tyrion's like, he's the three-eyed raven, I was just sitting looking at all of these like noble men and noble women that were sitting around, and I was trying to think. I was like, how many of them have any idea what that means? Because I feel like three of them actually knew what that Correct. was referencing to. Yeah, agreed. But, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel like even if Tyrion had identified Sansa or Arya as potential rulers, they would have said no. But I think it's the fact that he just, like, flat out didn't even consider them, which was sort of the annoying part to me. Do you think if this, if there'd be, like, another season that Peter Dinklage could grow an even thicker beard? Like, I... <laughs> he... I feel like... That's how I will remember the show from season to season. If I see a random episode on HBO, I'll be like, oh, this is season five. I can tell because of how Tyrion's facial hair is growing. Yeah, that's, yeah. But I, why didn't, other than the fact that he needed to have his story end with him with him walking out with Ghost and, and Tormund into the north, why didn't Drogon murder Jon Snow on the spot. Like, does Drogon really understand symbolism? So he destroyed the Iron Throne as opposed to murdering the guy who just murdered his mom? No, I I legitimately think Drogon understood symbolism. Yeah, I I think Drogon understood... First off, that scene broke my heart. I mean, that poor dragon. (laughs) That was just heartbreaking. You know, just heartbreaking watching him try and revive, like you know, nudging Danny to wake up and just that really painful cry of just grief he gave. I do think he understood though that it was the the throne's fault, that like everything that happened to Danny, that like that was the one thing that she was always chasing. And yeah, I think he understands symbolism, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um and so he just took it out on took it out on the throne and not John because it's not I mean it's like he sort of understood that the throne is what caused Danny to to do what she did or had him do what he did. Um so yeah, I I think he understands yeah. symbolism. Yeah, and I know that there's all the like the, the text and all the various things that say like, you know, dragons are as smart as not smarter than humans, so it's very possible that he does understand that. Um, I, you're absolutely right. It was, it was funny you bring up about that scene being so heartbreaking because, you know, Alex and I were watching it last night and like she said at one point, she's like, I am more upset over the CGI dragon feelings than I am over the death of any other like person. Yeah. It's not even that, I'm not upset that Danny died. I'm upset that, 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 that good, good boy, despite the fact that he just murdered, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, I'm upset that his feelings are hurt as well, but, um, and uh, if you guys hear in the background, speaking of pets, that's my dog barking. Um, 
Yeah, I I feel like I'm I'm curious. I hope the books get finished at some point because I'm curious how the end of the last book would be with all the various stars. Like it almost felt like someone said on Twitter, like, "How much money do you think HBO is throwing at Maisie yeah. to do a spinoff?" You know, like I'm, I'm curious if the various you know endings of the various Starks were done by the showrunners in an effort to, to keep a door open or if that really is how George wanted all of their various stories to end. So I, I do know that a few years ago George sat down with the showrunners and gave them an outline of the rest of his books and there were certain key plot points um, that we know for sure made it into the TV show. There were like three, I feel like the, the show notes that there were three plot points that just completely shocked them that they made into the TV show. One was the fate of Stannis' daughter, where she gets burned alive. The second was Hodor and how that whole thing played out. And then the very last thing, no one knew. They just were like, it's the thing at the end. So I'm assuming that means Bran ending up in charge. But I... I feel like, again, a lot of what happened makes sense within the context of the overall character arcs. Um, I know, though, that the TV show has diverged slightly from the books, so I'm I'm not sure if everything will happen. But at the same time, if it does, you know, if um, John kills Danny and ends up going north beyond the wall... Or Queen, or Sansa ends up as Queen of the North, or Arya takes off on her own. Like that all makes sense to me, um, if it happens in the books. So I think it's just it may take a different path to get there because the the TV show has diverged. So the trajectory and the actual um, execution might be different. But I I do feel like it it would make sense. For that to happen more than for something completely different to happen. Yeah, and I, I, I'm I'm a set for a happy ending. Like I like the fact that the all of the Stark, you know, the remaining Stark children got really what they they wanted more or less. You know, John really did talk about how he's you know tormented at one point. I think it was like last season or two seasons ago, being like. You know, you have the North in you, like the real North. Mm-hmm. Like seeing him and, and Ghost get to really do what you know. He gets to. He's going to be a leader, and he's going to be a leader of these free people in a place that he really connects with. And Arya getting to have her adventures that she's always talked about wanting to do. And you know, Sansa for the last couple of seasons has been pretty clear that she wants to rule. And and Bran, like he seems above, like he's moved beyond a mental state of wanting anything so it's like accepting that okay i can go off into a room and and warg and green sea and try and find a dragon while Tyrion and and all of the people try to to run the you know, try to run everything like my whole thought and the whole like arc of this whole season was i was hoping that the fantasy aspect of the show would be more the like final payoff with you know the white walks and everything and so my distaste for most of the season was just like I wanted that to be the thing that we were focused on and then it took me a while when like to understand like okay no that's not coming back they literally ended that part earlier in the season so I guess once uh, that was like never gonna come back into play 
Well, I will say when John was walking up to Castle Black and they blow the horn once, there was like a part of me for half a second that thought it was going to blow three times. <laughs> and like, it was going to end with some like super dark version of like, oh, no, there's the Night King again. Like, just impossibly for no reason, which would break would break the internet even more than it did. <laughs> I thought that would be very funny. Uh, so that actually is one thing that probably will pan out very differently in the um in the books because in the books there is no character that we know of as the night king that is in the show so that moment with Arya probably won't happen because that character is a show invention um so and i and i also have heard um it pointed out that the the series like the book series is known as a song of ice and fire Whereas the TV show is a Game of Thrones. So it's almost as if the, the series as a whole might focus more on that magical White Walker element. And so that is sort of the end game. Whereas with the TV show, calling it a Game of Thrones does suggest that the political element of who will end up on the throne at the end is sort of the focus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. No, that's, a, that's a really good point. So definitely the the entire story I think of the White Walkers and um, that will play out completely differently in the books and may end up having it just seems like at one point some point in the show they're just like eh we don't really like the magic part of things so we're just not going to focus on that (laughs) and they just kind of got rid of it which is unfortunate but that seems to be what happened because they were sort of more focused on the political intrigue yeah, it, it really does seem like the showrunners are just, like, too, like, we're just, like, in the end, we're, like, two generic white dudes who really loved, like, Aaron Sorkin work. Yeah. And so they wanted to focus on the political things as opposed to, like, you know, George R. R. Martin is so heavily inspired by, you know, Tolkien and, and all that type of stuff. Like, it really did seem like they made a decision. And we could be wrong. Like, they, maybe this is how the books end. But I, I like you said, I, I doubt that George is going to not, have a payoff for the White Walkers and things, but it really did just be like, seemed like the showrunners had made a decision, like they were more interested in the political intrigue. And I liked your point about, like, like you said, the the Game of Thrones versus the Song of Fire and Ice. A um, little cheesy for Sam to like pull the book out. That yeah. was a little like weird, wink, wink, like curb your enthusiasm moment. But um, no, I, I on the whole, I I was going into the episode expecting not to. Not to care, like my after like episode two of this season, my entire thought process was like I just kind of want the show to be done so it can hit, stop taking up my space in my brain. But I mean, I really did like the episode. I there like you said, there were some forced things to resolve plot points, and maybe they didn't do it the exact way that people wanted. But I don't know. I just think it could be. I I was happy with it, and for. A show finale, you know, so few show finales end up really giving you closure at all. I feel like they did a good job. No, I agree. Yeah, I was, you know, pretty fairly satisfied. After uh, last week, um, I didn't really know what to expect, and I didn't... I kind of went in apprehensive, but overall, I was... I was pretty satisfied with it. I do think um, it's important to note that the the last book wouldn't 
if and when it ever comes out, um, is is to be titled A Dream of Spring, which is a very hopeful title, you know. And you see, when you see John going back uh, beyond the wall with Tormund and, and the Free Folk, there's like a plant coming up. And so yeah, the I think having it end on a somewhat hopeful, optimistic note actually does fit if you think of, of the title as is supposed to be a dream of spring, which makes, you know, you have this whole thing about winter being this really terrible thing. And then there's something that comes after that that, that might be um, better and hopeful. Yeah, I also I'm just like a big uh, talking about those Wendell Berry books earlier in the episode. Like I'm a big fan of like day in the life type of stories where like not a huge massive thing happens and like in my mind like that like that's how the show ends. It's like okay, well now we're like gonna go back to days in the lives like that for some reason that just makes me happy. Um yeah, I I was content with it. Um did you see or have you seen the his dark materials trailer by the way i was not paying attention when that came on so no i have to go back and watch it but i really loved those books i'm very excited and mm-hmm. and hope i i hope they'll do a a good job with it because the, the first movie was we just won't talk well, about that yeah so the reason that i bring that up is because everyone is all already saying you know like there's always ringer articles and i've heard like bill simmons saying a few other people like well this is going to be the last like big event tv show that people are ever going to watch like this and i'm i'm going to call my shot right now before the series even begins because they've already renewed his dark materials for a second season before the first season even came out and looking at the trailer a few times because i've overanalyzed it because i love those books as well um it sure looks like they're sticking really close to uh, the actual story. So I'm calling my shot right now. I feel like that's going to be the next big thing where, like, for the next five or six years, people are going to be obsessively watching and blogging and writing about his dark materials. So if people did what you did and kind of hopped off before that, go check that out because it looks amazing, and I think it's going to make us forget about that terrible Golden Compass Yeah, movie. that that movie was, was not good. Yeah, I, um... I was. I think that's actually something. Regardless of of what you think about the TV show Game of Thrones, um, specifically the last couple seasons and and last night's episode, I think it is really important to acknowledge that a show like Game of Thrones that is based on this huge epic fantasy, where there are dragons and dark magic and ice zombies, it should not be as big as it is. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just. So as you know, those of us who read fantasy and have read fantasy our our lives, we're used to fantasy books being looked down upon a lot and not at all entering the the cultural zeitgeist at this level. So I think the success of Game of Thrones, the TV show, just in general, maybe not always the storytelling, but the the success of it says a lot about a shift in our cultural understanding of fantasy books and stories and definitely makes way for TV shows like His Dark Materials and, you know, there's a Wheel of Time thing in progress and the King Killer Chronicles in progress. And so, you know, it really opened the doors for a lot of other projects that otherwise probably would not have been getting, like, would not have gotten off the ground. You are completely right. And the other thing I'll say... Um, 
anyone who like hated the ending and then I, I, I saw a few people be like, hey, does anyone have a show I can waste seven years of my life on after this? Like, to me, even if I hadn't liked the ending and, and I did like the ending, I, I think of this as because it is like event watching television and, you know, I, I think of it as over the last seven years I've spent, you know, my Sunday nights with, with our friends getting together to watch these episodes and then spending like Monday morning texting each other our thoughts and, you know, looking at, you know, various articles online and seeing what other people thought. Like, that is a moment in time that is, as the seven years as a whole, like the collective, just like you said, people coming together to talk about a massive, massive fantasy series of novels that would, you know, without the show, you know, people who haven't read them, it'd be impossible to try and explain this to them. And it became a cultural phenomenon. It does give me hope for, you know, other fantasy series to come, like you said, the ones that are already in the works and, and ones that are keep coming, much like how Marvel has basically opened the eyes to, you know, literally millions and millions of people to how awesome comic books are. Like, it's just really, this is like the best time ever to be a geeky, you know, nerdy reader like I know you and I both are. Right. Agreed. Yeah, the, uh, the I like HBO for the fact that, you know, it's one of those where you have to wait week to week. I mean, I binge watch shows, obviously, when they come out on Netflix or Hulu and they put the whole season online at once. But I think something gets lost a little bit because everyone is watching at their own pace um, and people finish before others or whatever. Whereas this, I love that week between episodes where you're talking with people. It's one of my absolute favorite things about TV shows like this. Yeah, I, I agree. Like you can't you you're creating moments by design when you do stuff like this. So I I think that HBO will be wise to always kind of do this with their biggest shows. Um, and yeah, it it does it creates especially like there's something about Sunday night TV like that. It's that last thing you do before you go back to work. Like I I always that that always holds a special place in my heart all the way back to when I was a kid and like that's when Fox had like the new episodes of Simpsons and the X-Files were always on Sunday night. Like I think that there'll always be a place for a Sunday night, like momentous show. So that's what Game of Thrones gave us for like the past almost a decade here. Right. Um, Do you have any other closing thoughts you would like to share? Yeah. I keep thinking about this. Like I I will say that I am 90% happy with the TV show ending uh, how it ended there were a couple things one in particular the whole brand the broken name is so ableist uh. and so terrible i mean i get it from the whole like brand the builder and all that stuff but really brand the broken come on that just like i oh god that is so infuriating and for so many reasons um that i really 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 hate that he's called brand yeah. the broken uh, fully agree. Um, yeah, the whole see it creates huge issues with you know ableism and things. Yes, I, I have no further comments. You're absolutely right on that. Yeah, that's just like my one comment. <laughs> like the whole yeah. yeah, I think the idea that the women can't rule; they have to have a man in charge, and then the brand the broken. And I understand that for some people, those are bigger issues that um, outweigh everything else of the TV show. And I fully, fully respect why those are non-starters for them and they 
it makes them dislike the entire episode. I, I totally get that. Um, but for me, I can kind of balance it out. But, yeah. Fully agree. Um, okay, all right. Well, I hope everyone had as much fun over the last bunch of years watching the show as we have. Um, and I hope, uh, yeah, I hope you guys got some enjoyment out of our thoughts. So any last things you have, or is that kind of your, your last thought? That was my last thought. Okay, awesome. All right, well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chadda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you.